what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. For those of you who have missed us, we've been away for a while. Been on spring break. That's right, spring break. <laughs> My name's Alan. This is Chris. Hello. Chris, long time no see. I know. I know. Not really, no, but you know, we sure. see each other almost every day. <laughs> but long time that we haven't had in front of the microphone here to record an Correct. episode of this show. So we're very happy to be here again. This is Foot Candle Films. This is our show where we talk about uh, movies. We give a few movie reviews. We talk about some movie news. And then we always end up the show with an online recommendation, a film that we think maybe you should go check out online, either through Netflix or iTunes or wherever it may be either one that got missed, overlooked, or just uh, maybe worth revisiting. But before we get to all that, we do have a lot of movie reviews to cover. We got to catch up. Because we got to catch up. We did a few (laughs) episodes in April, but here in May, we haven't done any. So we got a few that we need to get you back up to speed on. It's true. Here's the rundown for the four movies. That's right. Four movies we're going to be reviewing for you today. (laughs) The Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, Godzilla, a little independent film called Blue Ruin, And then another one to wrap it all up called The Double. And we'll explain all those films as we get to them. But we are going to be reviewing all four, followed by news and recommendation here on today's show. Sound like a plan, Chris? Yes. Looking forward to it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, me too. So let's go ahead and get started with our first one. This is a big blockbuster movie that we're going to talk about. This is The Amazing Spider-Man 2. We have the power now. We can change the world. Then let's go catch a spider. I made a choice. This is my path. This is bigger than you, Peter. I'm the only one who can stop them. I'm Spider-Man. Chris, I seem to recall on this very show, yes, probably three years ago, The okay. Amazing Spider-Man came out. Yes. And you and I reviewed it. We did. You were not kind to the movie, <laughs> overly, if I seem to recall. I, I haven't dug back up into the archives to see what your exact words were, but I seem to remember you thinking it was fairly pointless to be redoing the same story again. Right. And you just didn't see any reason to have this film exist. And I think it was the same summer that the Batman, I think maybe the Bane Batman was coming out. Right. And I was anticipating that and saying like, that's what's going to, you know, this was not a superhero movie. That's going to be a superhero movie. Right. So yeah, I do remember not being. You were generally negative on the film. (laughs) I I was. Where I was generally positive. I did like The Amazing Spider-Man. I'm a Spider-Man nut, so you know I liked actually this movie, that movie better than the Sam Raimi trilogy. I thought it was a better personification of Spider-Man and Peter Parker. I thought it had better humor. I think it had better action. Okay, I liked it. I did echo your concerns that it's a shame they had to reboot the whole trilogy, the whole thing with this new film. But overall, I kind of wish Raimi's films would have disappeared and this would have been the only one. <laughs> I would have absolutely loved it. Okay. Here we are, though, a few years later, and it's right. sequel time. Yes. 
uh, you and I talked in the news not too long ago about this film, and I brought up to you that, boy, I'm really kind of concerned because it seems to be overloaded with bad guys and so much going on. And that's generally when these blockbuster movies start to lose me. Whenever you start to become too sprawling, too much going on, too much CGI, I'm not a big fan of those films. So even though I love my Spider-Man, I was very nervous about this movie. Gotcha. Help talk me down. Was I right to be nervous with, about this film or was I overly worried about it? And of course, I have my own opinion about that as well, but I want to hear yours first. Well, I think that you are right to be worried. You were right to be worried. And unfortunately, um, I think this movie makes the first one look like a masterpiece. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, it, and it was exactly, and I remember in the news segment, you said, oh, you know, they're showing you know, the villains in there and there's not just going to be one villain. There's not just going to be two villains. There's going to be like three Three villains. And I was like, Oh, you know, maybe that could be cool. You know, X-Men has a lot of heroes. So why couldn't you have a lot of villains? And they also have a lot of bad guys too, because it's a whole mutant army thing. So I was like, well, you know, whatever it's a, you know, and I wasn't that attached to the original one. So maybe I just, but no, I, I think your fears are well-grounded. I felt the movie was all over the place story wise and the villains were distracting. (laughs) So I will say, uh, a positive, we've mentioned him before on the show, mm-hmm. is the guy who plays the Green Goblin and Harry Osborn, Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan, yes. Um, and he was in Chronicle, which he yes. talked about a while mm-hmm. ago and recommended and stuff. Um, he was really good as uh, the Goblin, I thought, um, or as Harry Osborn, which he spent the majority of the time doing. Um, but I thought he was really good, and I can see potential for him being really interesting in the future. I just, the script was just all over the place and certain things were cartoonish in the way that Batman and Robin was cartoonish with George yeah. Clooney and Chris mm-hmm. O'Donnell. Yeah, that, and that a, a, atrocity, yes. Yes, that atrocity. And that, that bothered me with this. Not that superhero movies can't have a funny line in them, but just the way it was handled. So I'm predicting that you probably were troubled by this film. But um, how were Not you? as much as you, okay. but I definitely did not like it as much as the last Spider-Man movie. Okay. I did like it better than you, probably because I really liked... We have Andrew Garfield starring yes. as Peter Parker, Spider-Man, who Which I, I, I think, I think he's job. very good in this role. I would agree. And I think Gwen Stacy, played by Emma Stone, also very, very good. I really liked any scenes where the two of them were together. Hmm. And I actually liked any scene of Spider-Man being Spider-Man, meaning funny, cracking jokes and all that. The problem was anytime we got away from the two of them, those two characters, everything else stunk. Okay. So that's my whole, I'm wrestling with this film because the parts of it I loved, I really, really loved. Okay. There were just way too many parts. I didn't like at all that kind of outweighed it. Um, I agree with you. All the villains, I think were almost all completely mismanaged. Um, we have Jamie Foxx's Electro. Yes. I think you have an interesting idea for a villain there, but I don't think Jamie Foxx quite knew how to play him. I think he played him way too caricaturish as the before he became a supervillain, almost to the point of the Batman and Robin over the top. Right. And like then he this became a nerd stereotype from yes, like Revenge of the Nerds. Exactly. <laughs> and then when he became a villain, it was all cliche catchphrases and yeah. just it wasn't really well done at all. Didn't work for me. Um Dane DeHaan as Harry Osborn, who does become the Green Goblin. I think we're okay to say that at this point. I think so. Yeah, he was the best of all the villains we had. But again, he almost seemed to be thrown in as an afterthought at the end of the movie just to give them this last piece oh, that they didn't really need to squeeze in into no. this already long film. Uh, yeah. Patience. Yeah. 
I and, agree. You know, for a, it doesn't make sense to me. I understand, like, they're thinking, and, oh, let's cram a bunch of villains in because we want to make this a really huge movie and it'll draw a lot of people. But if they're wanting to make sequels, it would seem they'd also want to do a little bit of franchise care and actually spread things out so they could milk it for all well, it's worth and kind of tease villains but not have them do this. Here's my villain. concern. So, I don't know. Here's, here's a little bit of where I feel like this all went wrong, and it's back behind the, behind the screen dealings. I'm afraid that what happened is uh, Emma, Emma Stone. Who plays Gwen. Who plays Gwen Stacy. I'm not going to go into spoilers to say what happens to her character and how the story ends and all that. But I think they had to make some decisions with her character, probably based on contractual agreements with Hmm. her. Unfortunately, there are certain people, if you are uh, follow the Spider-Man lore and have been reading or know the stories, you know, there's a certain path her character has to go down. Okay. And it has to be involving a certain villain. Okay. And to have it done other ways would have really been a affront to a lot of this, the fans to of the, the story. So in other words, I think they kind of put themselves in their own hard, tough position mm-hmm. where they felt like we had this one story we wanted to follow, but oh my gosh, we've got to squeeze in this other story too, or else we can't do it. Okay. And that became a mess. Hmm. That's not the way you should make a movie. You but should concentrate on just making a good you movie. You should make a good movie. But unfortunately, these guys, I think they tried so hard to make this a step in the franchise direction and not making it a good movie. So that's my issue with it. I mean, there were great, great moments in this film. I mean, there again, as me as a a fan of the character, there were some dead on perfect Spider-Man moments. Some of the action beats, his personality during those scenes, spot on perfect. Actually, I smiled a few times, like big smile (laughs) on some of the scenes. Unfortunately, within five minutes, I'm also groaning and rolling my eyes on some of the choices they made with other characters. So I liked it better than you, but I was still very disappointed as an overall picture of a film. It's interesting. You commented on whenever Gwen and Peter Parker would be on screen together. You liked some of those moments. I, I liked, I liked both actors. I think they did a fine job with what they were given to do. Mm-hmm. But I was irritated. The first film had a lot of uh, Gwen Stacy relationship with Peter Parker, mm-hmm. and in the, and it was kind of like at the end of the film, it was it was on again, off again. And at the end of the film, it looks like it might be on again. We come to the sequel, and it's like off again, and then it's on again. And it, I was I was done with that in the first movie, and I didn't like the fact that they they were kind of hinging on the whole relationship. But I am not as familiar with the source material as you are, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming that that is kind of a big part of the Spider-Man well, comic as well as really. fighting villains. No, okay. no, no. It, it, the problem there was it's all the script. I mean, the okay. script of this film was really bad. Okay. I don't think it's the actors or the characters fault. I think they were playing the part that the script told them to play. Sure. And I think they played it really well. Unfortunately, the script had to have them start out together, had to have them break up, had to have them kind of get back together again to make the ending more powerful. <laughs> when again, right. I agree with you the way the first film ended they could have much easier, much more easily transitioned from that without being so overly complicated. Right. And if they hadn't had that roller coaster ride in the first film, then it would have been okay in the yeah. second. But the fact it was like, yeah, I've. I don't know if these were the same writers who did the first Amazing Spider Man or if they brought in all new writers. It's just the script was really weak, not very well done. The overloading of the film with so many things just more focused on building a franchise for the future than they were about making a good movie. Um, But I will say if it wasn't for the acting of Andrew Garfield, for me, Emma Stone and the way they played their two characters, right? I would have hated this film. Absolutely hated it. As it is, 
I like certain parts of it. I'm just overall disappointed. I think, yeah, and it, I was surprised at how unwieldy it was. Mm-hmm. For instance, you know, we've touched on a couple of things, something that I can also throw out. There are two things. I mentioned two villain, too many villains. Like a, uh, Paul Giamatti as the rhino was completely <laughs> unnecessary and tacked on, and I felt like it was kind of wasted, could have been insulted. And Paul Giamatti, we've talked about him before. He's a good actor. I you know respect him. I like what he does, and he was so throwaway here. It was completely ridiculous. Well, again, they are focused on building the franchise well, more than they, they were the story because his character and his role is being set up for future films. Okay. Unfortunately, though, when you've got a film that's already overloaded with crap, <laughs> and you add that in, and you've got such a great actor, and you just really kind of waste it. Yes, you may be building for the future, but when you're you're building with already so much stuff already crammed in there, it just it loses all impact. It could. I think I see your quote on the back of the movie box, Spider-Man Two, overloaded with crap. Uh, it, <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it, that's that's really the problem. Is that there were so many good elements done, but when you've got Peter trying to find out what happened to his his birth parents, which right. was a whole subplot that just became unwieldy and uninteresting right. throughout the film. You've got, that was one of the ones that I was the most interested in, and I felt like they just did a really poor job of it. I don't think they know what to me, do with it. Yeah. I, and then you've got Harry Osborne coming back, the whole plot with him, which mm-hmm. also could be very interesting. Right. And had two good actors playing those two parts, but it was just rushed, and all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that these two were best friends, and they're not best friends, now they are again. <laughs> yeah. And it's just things had to happen just to get to the last end point and that's not the way you make a movie work then you've got the whole electro thing which is he's got his own storyline which was also very short changed i think and made to be just a caricature in the end then you had um gosh what else there was like other plot lines too it was uh aunt may being a nurse trying to make ends meet right sally field great actress like her then you've got the whole rhino uh what you said about the uh paul giamani right then you've got this whole oscorp uh, has this secret programs going on with other things that run by like the Dr. Frankenfurter Frankenstein guy. That yeah, was like gosh, random, man, kind of like horrible. a Nazi esque. There's type just, character. there was just way too Weird. much going on. They could have made a very effective film with one or two of those, those bylines and not the whole kitten caboodle. I do I feel like they really are just trying to say, we've got to hurry up and get to the third movie, which is going to do these things. And to get there, we've got to make a, B, C and D all happen. Right. And trying to cram that in a two hour, 20 minute movie. Uh, Didn't work. It was a long movie, but it actually made it feel like even more overloaded than it needed to be for that length. So anyway, Amazing Spider-Man 2, we're both not happy with it. You really did not like it. I liked moments of it, but I, I overall am going to give it a decent. We're doing a thing, just so everybody can understand, we're doing a thing with our letterbox accounts where we're actually going to star rate the films at correct. the end of our reviews. Those are the star ratings we're gonna you're gonna be able to see on our letterbox account if you want to go online and see the films we're watching. We feel like that's a good way to kind of wrap up our review and kind sure. of give it our little star rating thing. I'm gonna go out and say that I really debated between a two and a half and a three for this one. The only reason I'm gonna give it a three is because there are enough things in it that I really, really liked that if it was on cable in the background when I'm around the house, I'll watch parts of it again. But I almost gave it a two, two and a half because there's just enough things in there disappointing me. In the end, I think a three is probably where I'm going to follow up. Well, I actually had this or something very similar to it in Letterbox on my kind of short review. Too many villains, too many plots, too much money spent on effects and not on script. 
two stars. Yeah, so I figured you were a two star on this yeah. one. So that's that's all right. I came close to two and a half. Um, again, I like it a little better than you, but again, I, it's probably more my affinity for the characters and the story that I know they were trying to tell and the moments that they were able to get right uh, was enough for me to give it a little bit more of a passing grade. Okay, okay so that's The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I'll go ahead and say right now, I have no interest right now in whatever they're trying to do with the third movie. <laughs> they're okay. really going to have to win me back over to get me excited about that film. I've got to be able to see whenever they start promoting it, because I know in a couple years they're going to be doing it. Oh, sure. I have got to be able to see that they can have a more refined, focused story um, that they're willing to let play out and not just cram everything in the kitchen sink that they can. Gotcha. All right. Let's move on to our second review, which uh, another big blockbuster movie. The film is Godzilla. In 1954, we awakened something. There's nuclear tests in the Pacific. Not tests. They were trying to kill it. You have no idea what's coming. Can you kill it? The arrogance of man is thinking nature is in our control. Summers are prime time for rebooting franchise blockbusters or trying to launch new ones. We just talked about Spider-Man 2. 1954 was the first time a giant lizard named Godzilla rampaged through Tokyo. Numerous sequels, spinoffs have been made. There are two previous attempts at reboots that I'm aware of, the cleverly titled Godzilla in 1985 and the other cleverly titled 1998 Godzilla with Matthew Broderick. They're very original with the titles. Directed by Roman Emmerich of Independence Day. So Mm -hmm. that right there, these are terrible in my estimation. Um, I don't remember a whole lot, but I remember I did see it. And then the Matthew Broderick, I've thankfully forgotten a lot of it other than it ripped off kind of an alien scene where they had a bunch of eggs of Godzilla in Mm -hmm. a building. Anyways, in Jurassic Park and several other movies that they (laughs) ripped off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So does this summer's retelling of the Godzilla story by Gareth Edwards fare any better than these other two? I have not seen it yet, so I'm throwing it all the weight of the shoulder. On your shoulders, Alan. Um, Okay, well, a little background here. It's kind of interesting that we're going from one franchise character that I'm a big fan of to another franchise character I'm a big fan of. Okay. I've been very public with my admiration for (laughs) giant monster robot movies in the past. I liked Pacific Rim. You liked Real Steel. I liked Real Steel. (laughs) I like this idea of the giant big creature monster stomping around and fighting other creature monsters. I love it. I was the one that was extremely excited for the 1997 Godzilla or 98 Godzilla movie by Roland Emmerich. Really? Oh, I was so excited. <laughs> the marketing, the commercials just got me. Oh I was my so gosh. ready. I went into the theater and I was probably still riding a little bit of an emotional high. I came out saying, eh, it wasn't that bad. And then I saw it again a couple of years later and I'm <laughs> like, like oh. oh my God, this is horrible. <laughs> okay. So that just being the record sure. stating, I'm was very excited when I started seeing the promotion for this film because it looked like they were trying to do Godzilla right by the original 1954 version, which is it was more of a cautionary tale. Okay. Um, It wasn't played for laughs. It was truly played for horror, but then also, you know, a little bit of the the frailty of of humans and the choices they make and how it comes back to, to impact them. Okay. I saw it going a little bit of that path from what I saw in the in the promotional side. So that got me a little excited. 
Gareth Edwards, who directed the film Monsters, that I recommended to you a while back, and you saw. Yeah, and, and I did. You yeah. thought it was okay, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, was an interesting take on a uh, dealing with a monster invasion type of movie. Right. So you and combine kind of all this together. Movie in yeah, a way. I was yeah. kind of excited about this. Um, overall, I'm going to say I did really like this movie. Okay. I have a few misgivings about it, but in the end, the last 45 minutes of this film completely won me over. Okay. I will say the first hour uh, takes a lot of patience. Ooh. Um, so kind of bored. A little bit. Um, it's kind of It's a slow build film. Okay. It's much more of a... You remember uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven yes. Spielberg? Yes. You know, it's that is a classic example of great anticipation building. Okay. You don't see any aliens... You don't even really quite know what's going on for the first hour, hour and a half of the movie. And then it slowly builds to this last 30 minute segment that everybody kind of remembers as that's when we talk to the aliens. Mm-hmm. But up until that point, you've got a lot of globe trotting, a lot of scientists trying to figure things out. A lot of people trying to understand what's going on. Hmm. That's this movie. Okay. The first hour, an hour and a half is a lot of talking. It's a lot of let's hop around to different places in the globe and see what's happened or what's going on or why it's going on. Hmm. And it's a lot of family drama. It's a lot of relationships between people. Okay. With this slow building anticipation that you know where stuff's going to end up. Okay. The last 45 minutes is all all out Godzilla movie. So it's a, I don't mind it because I actually like the careful thought that was going into building this up. Um, I don't think all the character work worked out as as effectively as it should have been. I didn't care about as many of the characters as they probably wanted me to. Okay. But there again, whatever misgivings I may have had at the hour and a half mark, by the end of the film, I'm smiling. I'm loving it. It was the classic Japanese Godzilla movie done in a modern age. It felt real. And I really enjoyed I enjoyed the film overall. Okay. And the performances, are you mixed them or you think they just weren't given a lot to do? Because there's some big names. There's Brian Cranston. There's Julianette Binoche, who I've never thought would have been in a Godzilla movie. Um, um, no, everybody did what they were supposed to do. Okay. Um, even Aaron Taylor Johnson, who okay. I generally don't like. I mean, he was the guy that I was just railing on with in Anna Karina. Right. And then we both, he was in Kick-Ass too, which you and I both were big on that. I just, and I, I think he was really miscast in that movie. Okay. Here he's fine. He plays, he's kind of our lead. Okay. Brian Cranston's not the lead. I'll just ah, tell you that. Okay. He's in the film a lot less than you probably expect. Yeah. Aaron Taylor Johnson is the lead, but he's, He's a bearable lead. He's not, you know, he's not annoying. Hmm. He doesn't act stupid like a lot of humans sometimes do in these big blockbuster movies. But there's not so nothing extraordinary about him either. He's just kind of somebody to follow. Okay. Uh, his wife's played by Elizabeth Olsen, good actress, but not really giving anything to do here. Okay. Uh, Brian Cranston, I thought was really good. But again, he's in the film a lot less than you would expect. Ken Watanabe. Yeah. Also very good. But again, very small role. The actors were good. They did the parts they're supposed to do. The story didn't have them all being developed as much as I would probably like. Fragmented, maybe a little bit, and just the roles were very slight. Okay, but again, it all kind of built to a really nice, satisfying forty, thirty, forty minutes at the end of the film. I got a question for you, Mm -hmm. which you know, this is probably for anyone who hasn't seen the movie. You're you're definitely wondering this because I haven't seen it. I'm wondering, you know. The teases of Godzilla, obviously, you know, with any monster movie, that's the big thing is when do I get to see the monster or they hold out for a while, but at least they give you little things along the way, kind of like you were referencing Mm -hmm. with Close Encounters. Do you feel like they didn't tease enough or do you feel like they like 
as far as like you wanted to see creatures, there was so long in between things you forgot you were watching a Godzilla movie because there wasn't like how do you feel like they struck the right balance? What's your how do you feel about that? I think so. Okay, they definitely build up the anticipation probably longer than a lot of uh, the audiences really to wait for. Okay, I thought it was nicely done. Okay, and that when you actually do get to him late in the film, uh, it's pretty impressive. Okay. Where I feel like if it had been rolled out a lot earlier and, and all that, you kind of would have lost that impact by the end of the film. I think they structured this film knowing that they wanted people to walk out of the theater being jacked up. Okay. And they did that. Because, again, <laughs> okay. the last 30 minutes of the film, if you were a Godzilla fan or a fan of this genre at all, you're going to love it. Okay. But I think they knew that they didn't want to play their cards way too early in this film and wear you out by the end of the film. Sure. This film could have been that wear you out by the two-hour mark. To where when you leave, you're just exhausted. Okay. And they didn't do that. Hmm. Um, I will just go ahead and say without spoiling too much, uh, something I did not expect is Godzilla is not the only creature in the film. Hmm. And actually the middle portion of the film is much more dedicated to another character. Hmm. And that keeps it a little more interesting as well. Okay. So that even more built up the anticipation for when you actually do see Godzilla and all of his glory huh. and the role that he plays in the film. It's interesting. Yes. Yeah, um, so I will say, if you liked the classic Japanese big guy in a rubber suit stomping around, mm-hmm. you're actually going to get a really big kick out of this movie by the end. Okay. Um, but I will say it will test your patience a little bit. It is a completely different tone film than the Roland Emmerich version, which is good. It's not played for laughs. It's not played with a bunch of silly one-liners and crazy, ridiculous situations. This is a much more grounded. This is Godzilla Begins, basically, <laughs> oh, in a way. Whoa, that's that's big. I, I know. I'm not saying it's there. as good as Batman Begins, but it is that same idea of let's try to ground this modern reality. Let's really start from the beginning, hmm. and let's really set the right tone for the future. Okay. So I like the film a lot. Okay. I did see it with some other people. They were a little more mixed about it. Okay. But I don't know if that's because they're just not big fans of the genre or they didn't have the patience for it. But I will say I really liked it. Well, and I've heard that he's been – the director, Gareth Edwards, has been greenlit to do a, two sequels. Yes. So – He also just got greenlit oh, yesterday for, for another film. Yes. yes. We'll talk about that. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Looking forward to it. So, yeah, I, def- I highly recommend it. It's not perfect. There are a few misgivings. There's a few points I really would have had them do something different. And I wish the characters were more people you wanted to follow right. and wanted to spend more time with. But in the end, you're making a Godzilla movie. This was a very good Godzilla movie. We'll leave it at that. Okay. All right. So we still got a couple more reviews oh, to so go. Your star. Oh, my star rating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, four stars. Okay. Yeah. No. Right. And for me, just understanding my star rating, the gap between three and four is a pretty wide gap. You know, Briefly, yeah, sure. Let me. I'll kind of throw my philosophy, which mm-hmm. of course I am have the reserve the right to change at any mm-hmm. moment. <laughs> well, let's but just yeah. do this while we're in between our in the midpoint of our reviews. Sure, yeah. it's like with the five star rating, three is like you know obviously that's middle of the road, that's average. But the restriction on a three is that I probably would recommend it to people. Mm-hmm. Five is like very few films would probably get yeah. that. It's really really good. Basically, if I walk out of here and I immediately want to see the movie again, that's a five. And then one has to be pretty, pretty horrible. And I would definitely, you know, ones and twos, I wouldn't recommend to people, you know. Well, ones and so. ones to me are just, I will not even bear to think of that film again. <laughs> twos are films that I can't recommend. They were not good. 
It's not to say that if they're not in the background somewhere, I won't watch a few moments of it, but I just can't really, I'm not, I have no interest in watching again. Sure. Threes are, normally my threes are my films that I knew had better potential, but were overall kind of a little disappointing, but had enough good moments to it, like Amazing Spider-Man 2. Got you. Fours are, wow, that was a good movie. I really liked it. I wouldn't mind seeing that again sometime in the future. Five, like you said, is I want to see it again right now. <laughs> and I want to own the DVD. I want to like right. have movie poster up in my room, all that. Okay. Um, I looked on Letterboxd the other day just out of curiosity. I think I have 12 films that are five stars. Okay. So that's kind of my top 12. And sure enough, as I look at the list, I'm like, yep, that pretty much, that's it. That's, that's my favorite that's 12 him. movies. <laughs> and I only have maybe four, three or four movies that I thought were one stars. Okay. I think in general, you and I don't seek out to watch the we, films that we, we know are going to be one stars. Right, why bother? Yeah. If you know you're going to hate it, why would you bother watching it? So, so. we generally kind of pre-screen movies in our own head about whether we're going to like it. True. And ones are ones that either I'm dragged to <laughs> that I have no desire to see or just really completely blew me away with how bad it was so right okay. yeah i think we're on the same page all right good deal so let's move on to our third review which the films are getting smaller as we go this is a film probably a lot of our audience has not heard of a little independent film called blue ruin one two if it were my family i might do the same i know this is personal that's how you'll fail I'd forgive you if you were crazy, but you're not. You're weak. Hello, it's me. By my count, that's two of yours and two of mine. Chris, we're at an interesting disadvantage for me with this film. Okay. And that Blue Ruin, normally I'm the guy who's read up on all the films. I know a lot about them. I know who's in it. I know who made the films. I'm generally a student of that kind of information. (laughs) Okay. Blue Ruin, I got nothing. I know nothing about this film other than uh, the picture I keep seeing is a guy walking around with a bloody t-shirt. That is all I know about this film. I don't know the director, Jeremy Salander. I don't know the star, Macon Blair and Devin Ratney and Amy Hargraves. I know nothing. But you do know Eve Plum. She's in the Brady Bunch. Oh, Eve Plum's (laughs) in it. Oh yeah, there you go. That's all I know. So at this point, this is going to be the shortest introduction set up for you to tell me about a film known to man. Tell me, why should I go see or not go see Blue Ruin? Okay. For those of you who have seen Blue Ruin, you can continue to listen to this. For those of you who haven't, take my word, it's worth seeing. I'm not going to tell you anymore because I don't want to ruin anything. So but I haven't that. seen Blue Ruin. <laughs> so how yeah. can I close my ears for the next five minutes while you talk about it? I'll try to keep things vague because well, I want to be spoiled. It's okay. but it's, I went into this movie knowing nothing about it, okay. just having it, having heard it was good. And so I went in and I just was bowled over. So I won't try, won't spoil anything. But uh, for instance, it's a very, one of the things that hit me immediately was it was a very stylistic movie and it, did what film is meant to do where it show you things instead of even have to tell you things through dialogue or through forced like hammered situations that just so conveniently happen mm-hmm. uh, the first the beginning of the movie is dialogue free i don't know how long if it's like 15 minutes or mm-hmm. but it's dialogue free but you understand what's going on because of the shots they did and the the cinematography and how they just they do a lot of tracking shots leading you through situations 
and it just communicates everything. And mm-hmm. it's like that's what's films where you don't have to have a narrator sitting there telling you, you know, all this like dialogue and head stuff. Right. No, they mm-hmm. just let it happen. Okay. I mean, it was it was just really satisfying to see such a good movie that I had little idea even existed. Wow. I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that um, Jeremy Saulnier, have you say his last name? Saulnier. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote and directed it. So I think this may be kind of a big, you know, a love of his, like this movie yeah. was a pet project that he was going to have made. It wasn't his first movie. I'm unfamiliar with Murder Party, which was his first movie. I'm not either. I don't no. even know anything about it. But the star of this one, Macon Blair, who plays Dwight, was also in that movie. And mm-hmm. he executive produces this movie. Hmm. So they may have a really good working relationship, maybe. And Macon Blair, I'm, that's the other thing that was really satisfied. Really good acting in the movie, but I don't really recognize anyone. Yeah, I was going to say, sometimes that's really nice to it not is. have any preconceived notions it of is. who it's a guy is. It's a bunch of unknowns. Yeah. And I threw out, uh, I can't remember if she's, I think she's Jan Brady, not Marsha. But she's <laughs> she is in there, but she's almost completely unrecognizable. Wow. If I hadn't heard that she was in the film, I wouldn't have known. Just tell me, I mean, what, what's the genre of this film? Is it, sure. is um, it thriller? Is it mystery? Is it is it uh, just over over drama? What is it? It's, it's basically a thriller with, cr- you know, a crime thriller. And okay. basically just a brief synopsis of it is there's this guy who at the beginning of the film looks to be pretty much homeless and you don't know anything about his past and he's just this dude and he's kind of a bum but he finds out that somebody has been released from prison and then he decides he is going to go and exact vengeance against this person for wrongs that he did hmm. and that's all I'm going to say that's about it. that okay. <laughs> um, but it is so good and I, I've heard some criticisms out there that maybe Macon Blair and his character's name is Dwight. There's just not a whole lot to him. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I think that's the point of the character. He is kind of this blank slate and just kind of a very quiet, you know, hermit type dude who gets this notion and doesn't really think it out really well about mm-hmm. how he's going to carry these things out Right. to make a good judge on whether or not it's a really good acting job. I guess I'd have to see him in something else and determine mm-hmm. if he's mm-hmm. just playing, you know, if he, to make a good determinants of it. Also, it, this movie reminds me a lot in a weird way. It's like a crime thriller done in a all is lost type manner. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were other people in this film, unlike Robert Redford was the only person in that right, film. Right. You know, that wasn't heavy on dialogue. This film's not really heavy on dialogue. And a lot of times you're focusing on just that one person being mm-hmm. Dwight in this sure. film and following his actions and seeing little mistakes or little things he doesn't think through that come back and bite him in the butt. Kind of similar to, you know, all is lost. And that was like a disaster movie kind of scaled down. So I'm obviously, I'm a huge, huge fan of this movie. I can Um, tell. That's interesting. Now it's available on video on demand, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's cool. So you don't, if if you're hearing this and thinking, okay, this is a movie I can't go see because I don't live in a big city somewhere. Now you can go online on iTunes or Amazon and actually rent it or buy it. Right. Yeah. And it's just, I think it was released at film festivals and then now it's at movie theaters. But like you say, it is online. So it's easy to check out if you're interested. Well, that's really cool. I I think it's really cool that some of these films that are not going to get the big attention at the multi Complex. And it used to be that unless you lived in New York, Chicago, LA, or whatever, you could never really see them because of online distribution. We can actually pay our seven ninety nine or whatever and rent it for the night and watch it, which is great. So uh, Blue Ruin sounds like you got some really high acclaim to give that star rating on that. I'll say uh, star rating four and a half. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I'll say I'll throw out there 
I was describing this movie to my wife before I had seen it. You know, I was just saying, I'm going to watch this tonight. And she's like, okay. You know, I was like, you might like it, but you know, warning, it's not your general type film, but I think because of the creativeness of how it's not your typical thriller or how mm. it's not your typical crime movie, I think you'll like it. There are some evidences of pretty heavy violence, mm. but, um, you know, they're, kind of spread out and it's not like the whole movie is like a gore fest of things getting blown up or people's bodies being blown apart but there is some some pretty uh intense violence but okay. she ended up liking it and because of its original hmm. nature you know okay. it wasn't just like you know the typical thriller you see in a multiplex wow. so. okay well this is already on my watch list as it is this is probably just bumped up a few spots based on your review so very nice that's the movie blue ruin which is available on Video On Demand, iTunes, Amazon, Video, all those places online where you can rent brand new movies should have it available. So Chris is saying definitely check it out if you're into that kind of genre movie. Absolutely. Great. All right, we're on the fourth and final review that we have to go on this show. Our (laughs) catch-up, our makeup makeup (laughs) review show. As we talk about the latest film starring Mr. Jesse Eisenberg, the film is called The Double. I'd like to introduce everyone to our newest co-worker. Please welcome James Simon. Have you spoken to the new employee? James? Yeah, sure, man. But did you notice anything strange about him? I mean, did he remind you of anyone? Who'd you have in mind? This guy just started. Why can't you work like that? This man is a fraud. He stole my face. This is not me. This is not me, sir! With Richard Ayoade's second film, The Double, we have Woody Allen light actor Jesse Eisenberg <laughs> playing a lowly government office worker in a dystopic present day, I mm, guess, maybe slightly maybe. futuristic. I don't think it matters, though. Yeah, He's struggling to try to make a name for himself in the office and establish a relationship with a co-worker, Hannah, played by Maya Wasakowska. Things start to go awry when a doppelganger of Simon shows up and calling himself James. Which is Simon James is the main guy. This other guy is now James Simon. Right. I believe, I believe that's correct. Yes. <laughs> uh, directors like David Lynch and Wes Anderson have been accused of style over substance in the past. Mm-hmm. Does Ioday now have a membership in this club or no? Um, he may be in the club on a trial basis. Okay. Um, I do think this was a lot of style. I think there was some substance, could have used a little more, but I will go on record as saying I like the style. So generally, I enjoyed the film. In the end, it did leave me feeling like something was missing. Okay. But overall, I enjoyed watching the film because I do think it had a very fun style to it. I like the premise. I like some of the quirky humor that was thrown in as well. Story-wise and substance-wise, it did leave me a little empty at the end. Okay. But overall, I'm going to say I enjoyed the film. Gotcha. Still wrestling with it a little bit, <laughs> but I did enjoy the film. You? I I have seen his first movie, Submarine, which mm-hmm. I liked a lot and had a lot of Wes Anderson style mm-hmm. to it. Um, and I was interested to see what he'd do with this subject matter. Unfortunately, I had not heard anything about this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you threw it out there as a movie to review. So, of course, what did I do? I went on iTunes, watched the trailer, which is, you know, bad, bad sign there. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the trailer. Mm-hmm. And so, and was I that the trailer with just the two of them walking down a long hallway and it's like not really a lot of talk or anything or? No, this one had some dialogue. Oh, it did. And okay. had some, yeah. All right. And I liked the music that they were playing. Just, 
And to me, and then I noticed under a category, which is dangerous to look at too, when, you know, studio heads try to categorize movies, it was categorized as comedy. Yeah. Um, So unfortunately, there were a lot of preconceived notions. And I Mm -hmm. like Jesse Eisenberg. I Mm -hmm. I said Woody Allen Light, but that's just his delivery ends up being like that a lot of times. And especially in this movie, the Simon character is a very put upon, stressed out fellow. Um, but I, I liked him and had no problem with his performance in the movie. And actually, him having to do a doppelganger against himself and play an extremely confident guy mm-hmm. who you know, is, is able to excel at business and a hit with the women. Like that, was, that was interesting to get to see Jesse Eisenberg do. But ultimately, I would definitely say, for me, this movie was much more style than it was substance. Mm-hmm. And that was really disappointing because I, I wanted both. And I thought basically you take the style from something, which was really good, like the set design and the mm-hmm. lighting design, costume mm-hmm. design, all that stuff was really cool, but it didn't end up having any story. And I kept being reminded of, um, a Terry Gilliam movie, Brazil, mm-hmm. which had kind yeah, of a very, very similar, similar, like oh, yeah. depressing darkness to it, but it had some story to go along with it. And I felt like this one could have used some more story to help it. I, uh, I, I liked it better than you did only because I just, there was enough fun. I say fun loosely cause it was a pretty dark movie, but some fun moments and just some interesting choices of quirky moments, uh, that I really, I liked and okay. I enjoyed watching. I did watch this twice. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, so I, you, in pre-show you were, you'd said you'd seen it twice and I thought you were making a joke on the title. The dog. Oh no, 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 no. I did see it twice. did see it twice. Well, because I started to get a little sleepy the first viewing and I felt like I didn't really catch the ending as much as I wanted to. So I watched it again and, uh, it did hold up. It held up pretty well. There were actually moments in the film I was anticipating because I really liked certain moments of the film, which huh. is nice. Interesting. Um, I'll tell you a couple moments, a couple parts of the film or elements that I thought were really well done, but unfortunately didn't go far enough. Okay. So it was nice ideas, but then they never followed through with it. Okay. This corporation or company where he works. Yes. I thought was fascinating, but we didn't get too deep into it. Right. You really could have learned a lot more about it. The whole, the Colonel who kind of, I guess is the head guy, the head figurehead of this corporation. Wears a white suit or something. Yeah. He's called the Colonel and he's kind of got these motivational pictures all over the place about the Colonel and he's kind of a mythical figure. Right. And then he does actually show up at some point. I felt like that whole, that whole storyline just kind of went nowhere. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I really wanted to know more about this company he worked for. Right. I think the fact that we've got an interesting double play by Eisenberg of his two characters, which I thought was really fun when they first started getting together and you started to see these two differences between these two characters. There was a lot of fun moments there, but it was kind of predictable where they were going to go with the story. I think, I think that's another problem is, yeah, I thought it was so predictable. That didn't surprise me. I guess the one thing I would say unpredictable wise was that no one had a problem with it. Like, right. and that was actually kind of refreshing. <laughs> it was actually, that, yeah, it was, it was kind of cool. It's like, okay, this is, absurdist abstract you know whatever you want to call it but like they're not going to have a problem with it yes there are two people yes they do Identical, seem to look exactly alike dressed talk alike the same. yeah but yet no one has a problem and well, that was kind of they even played like, okay. off that in one really funny scene where i think uh where our, our main character simon is actually talking to one of his co-workers harris played by noah taylor <laughs> it's like you know come see don't we you know like standing next to each other and the guy's like yeah maybe a little bit you know it's like just kind of playing <laughs> off of like yeah, okay, yeah, you guys look a little alike. And it's like, well, no, they're identical, but the fact that nobody else really seems to 
care about that. Uh, they even make some comment. It's like, yeah, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think that's, there was enough quirky fun moments like that and playing off the situation that made it fun for me to watch. But in the end, you just wish they'd gone a little deeper, gone a little less predictable with the end. And I th- had a little more fun with the, the nature of this odd company business that mm-hmm. is the main, is almost like another character in the whole film is like this company. And I wanted more of that. And I didn't get that in the end. So it was a little bit of a letdown by the end. But overall, I still enjoyed enough of the moments of it to want to watch it again. Wow. And I, I was let down and I think it, I had the problem that the bill of goods that had been sold to me was comedy. Even mm. if it was a dark comedy, it was still comedy. And to me, it was more just dark with a little bit of comedy thrown in there. Yeah. But I, I'd be curious if I were to watch it again, if I would respond better to it. I will say from an acting standpoint, Jesse Eisenberg was playing the Jesse Eisenberg character. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing more to it. He, Which is what this calls for. It did call for it. He was perfectly cast. It's sure. just, again, we didn't really get to see Mr. Eisenberg stretch any acting muscles whatsoever in any direction. Uh, Maya Wasikowska, I thought was fine. This is probably the most grown-up role I've seen her play. I mean, normally she's playing teenagers right. and the daughter role and Alice in Wonderland role. Right. This was the more adult role for her. I thought she pulled it off fine. I think she was good. I mentioned Noah Taylor as one of the coworkers, which was a small part, but fun. He had a couple interesting cameos from some people. Like Chris, Prince, o, Chris O'Dowd oh, uh, playing yeah, the nurse was, at the hospital, which I thought was funny, but which it was, I like, a, it was I like a very him. small part. Who's the Princess Bride guy who's his boss, who's like the whiny... Um, oh, that's uh, Wallace Shawn, who played Mr. Papadopoulos. Yeah, he was. He yeah, who's the manager? Yeah, of, yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, like, he he made me smile. Sally Hawkins was in this, which I didn't even notice, but I hmm. liked saw Alyssa. She was the receptionist at the ball, which uh, oh wow, you know, kind of a small bit part for a, a pretty good actress. Yeah. Um, hmm. So anyway, Patty Constant- Constantine, uh, I forget which part he played, but I think he was one another somebody at the office there. Kathy Moriarty, did you not recognize her as the waitress in the restaurant? Oh wow! Yeah, she's you know been around for a while. Yeah, she's a yeah. pretty big actress, but she hasn't, I haven't seen her in a while. No, she hasn't aged as well. Um, <laughs> but she is playing the waitress in the in the in the in the restaurant. Huh, so you know, it's an interesting film. It is based on a uh, a novel by Dostoevsky. So you know, there again, I guess if you're adapting a novel, and the novel that's kind of the storyline it took. Right. You're adapting into a film. At least they had fun with it and were trying to be really creative. I just think. It didn't have as much substance to validate all the style that they put in. Well, and I think, too, I was watching it kind of later at night, and and I didn't fall asleep, but I found the style, because there wasn't a lot of story going on, I actually felt like the style made it a little bit repetitive. And maybe that was on purpose, because his job mm-hmm. is very boring, but if the style doesn't change up a lot or it doesn't have nuanced ways of showing the style but it just kind of looks, it's very gray and very yeah. dark and it just, it kind of gets to be monotonous. And if the yeah. story is not very dynamic, like you mentioned, doesn't surprise you, then mm-hmm. it leaves me disappointed. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm waffling between a three and a three and a half for this because I did enjoy it. Uh, I would watch it again later on down the road. Uh, my wife hated it just for the record, <laughs> just so you get a little bit of perspective on the whole no, thing. No, that's, that's good. Um, we like to throw in wives' ratings. Yeah, because, you know, there again, we, yeah, we can be a little little, male, male little more biased yeah. in our, sure. our perception of films. Probably a three. I'd I'm, say I'm, maybe squeak out a three and a half just because I really like the style. I'm um, giving it two and a half, actually. Oh, man. Being a little tough. You are 
Mr. Blue Ruin here. Everything else is just <laughs> fall right. by the wayside. Two, two yeah, stars right. type of thing. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I think it's worth watching. I'm just going to go on record saying I think it is worth a watch. Um, I have not seen Submarine, so it's a little hard for me to gauge whether this was a step in the right direction for Richard Ayoday or not. And see, um, that one had comedic elements that were still kind of quirky like Wes Anderson. So I, I was expecting him to bring some of that humor because of the trailer to this. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it could be all expectations on my part. Yeah. So. All right. Interesting. I think I'll go with a three. I think the more I've thought about it here, three, three stars sounds like a good solid three to me. Okay. That's what I'm going with. Okay. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, Chris is actually going to take over the news desk. We've never had that happen before. I've normally come it's in true. with a bunch of news stories. Supposedly, Chris has got a few to share, so we'll let him take on the news anchor desk here uh, for the next section, and then we'll wrap up with a recommendation for online viewing. You are listening to Foot Candles Film, our makeup for spring break episode <laughs> here on the Mesh.tv. Baseball is back. And the Hickory Crawdads have an exciting season ahead. Join the dads for weekly promotions such as Dollar Day, Fireworks Fridays, and of course, Thirsty Thursday. The Crawdads will also host the South Atlantic League All-Star Game on June 17th. Regular season and All-Star Game tickets are now on sale and available at the Crawdads box office or hickorycrawdads.com. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. Just a quick reminder before we get back into our show that you are listening to a podcast here on TheMesh.TV. We encourage you to go check out the other podcasts available on The Mesh Network by visiting TheMesh.TV. That's spelling out the word, the, T-H-E, M-E-S-H dot TV. You can see a whole variety of shows there from sports shows to entertainment to uh, business shows uh, to talking about parenting. I mean, we got a nice variety of shows to check out on the network. They're all free. You download them. You can listen to them from the website. You can listen to them through iTunes. You can uh, subscribe to them through Stitcher Radio. A lot of different ways to listen to the shows. We definitely would love your subscription, which basically means you click a button saying that you want us to send you every new episode of that show that comes out and it gets delivered to you automatically. That is our ideal situation and relationship with you as a viewer, our <laughs> listener. But, you know, you can also listen on an ad hoc a la carte basis as well whenever you want to. Regardless, the Mesh.TV is a, a new platform for listening to shows and original content that we create both here in the Mesh studio as well as some of our partner locations. So check us out and also drop us a line if you've got any comments, questions, or thoughts about what we're doing. We'd love to hear from you at info at TheMesh.TV. All right, so Chris, you are our news anchor today. We today. are so excited. Mr. Fry is going to regale us with some news headlines that we will then comment and discuss. So, Chris, take it away. I need to do the news anchor job more often because the dressing room was cool and like all the snacks that you have and stuff. We have a lot of perks. So, yeah. (laughs) We'll we'll start off with, we kind of teased it in our review of uh, Godzilla. But uh, so, Mr. Gareth Edwards has been tapped to do a Star Wars. We don't even have Episode 7, Star Wars Episode 7 yet. But Gareth Edwards, I guess, because he's taken home a big paycheck from Godzilla, they think, hey, you've done a good job. He's been tapped to do a spinoff, mm-hmm. Star Wars spinoff movie. Yes. 
How do, how do you feel about that, Alan? Well, okay, Gareth Edwards, of course, directed Godzilla. It's almost like they waited to announce this until they saw how Godzilla did the first weekend. <laughs> and when they said, oh, $96 million? Okay, okay. good. Cha-ching, here you go. Here's your contract for a Star Wars spinoff movie. It was told to us a couple months, several months ago that, yes, there is going to be a series, a whole series of Star Wars movies. We've got our new trilogy, 7, 8, and 9. And there's going to be these spinoff movies as well. From what I understand, there the spinoffs will be like character specific, single character movies. So right. the ones that have been batted around: Yoda, Boba Fett, Han Solo. Okay, take I know, your three, I, know where, I know where my money on that one's going. Well, take your three <laughs> more popular characters that could have an interesting backstory to them, and let's do a solo movie with them. Uh, Where, where's your money, Alan? As oh, far as what, Bo- do you, what do you? I'd want? love a Boba Fett movie. Really? Yeah, yeah. And I'd love a Han Solo movie. There you go. I don't need to see a Yoda movie. No. No, I think Boba Fett would be interesting. I feel like, you know, say what you will about the uh, the new episode or episodes one, two, and three. You know, if you mm-hmm. say what you will about those. But I liked the, the story they did give us about Boba Fett Django and his father. And Boba, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like I got all I needed. Well, see, I would but, like to see Boba from when he's a little kid at the end of in episode two, where he just saw Django get killed, to becoming his own Bounty yeah. Hunter Mercenary. I think that'd be interesting. Regardless of what which character they have them do, I think it is. I think we're going to see a lot of this happening with the Star Wars universe in the coming years. I think they're going to tap interesting directors to do these little spinoff projects to okay. build this universe out while your bigger, high-level premiere directors are going to be the ones doing the big trilogy movies. I'm okay with it. I mean, I think we're seeing all these franchises, Chris, go into this whole universe building mode. Right. Marvel Universe is all about let's build a universe of movies. And this is kind of doing it in reverse. It is. Yeah. Um, I think Spider-Man, even what we talked about earlier, everything they're saying, which starts to worry me now, is that (laughs) they're wanting to build out to where there's a Spider-Man universe of movies. There's going to be a movie about the bad guys. There's Mm going to be a movie about a spinoff character. They're plotting this because I think they all saw how Marvel's working. Right. And they're saying, you know what? If we can have movies feed into one another and kind of support one another. Synergist. If we, we build this whole network that every year there's a new movie coming out about our universe. Right. That's what Star Wars is trying to do. I say, you know, give it a shot. See what happens. Um, they'll know right away if that first spinoff movie doesn't, doesn't click. Uh, we probably won't see a whole lot more of them happen after time. But um, I say give it a shot. If it's the right character and they've got an interesting story and it's not just a cash grab, I'm all for it. Your, yeah. your thoughts on me? Um, I think it's interesting. I didn't know anything about it until the Gareth Edwards announcement was made. Like I didn't know they were planning spinoffs. I didn't didn't know any of that. Um, So interesting. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I think he's probably capable. But of those three, I really hope it's on solo because I don't think the other two will be as interesting. But I could be wrong. Tying into that, um, someone who is helping out with uh, Star Wars 7. But first, he's finishing up his work on Avengers Age of Ultron. Mm -hmm. Andy Serkis. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is the guy who, you know, played Gollum. And people were like saber rattling that they think he should have been nominated for Academy Award for like, you know, some type of, I guess, best supporting actor. Mm. Um, he's about to come out with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes this summer. You think this is going to revitalize that whole debate, which I think people were talking about it after the first Planet of the Apes movie that he was in as well. They kind of started saying he needs to get some kind of recognition. Do you think it's going to that whole tsunami is going to hit again? Um if if he is playing a motion capture character in Star Wars, oh, that's true. Because Maybe he may not be. Not. Okay. Uh, Andy Serkis has played his own live, you know, a real in person King before. King Kong, he did right. 
He played the ship boat captain or whatever. Right, he did. He also played King Kong. But yes, you're right. He did play the the, the real character too. It's very possible. I do think that Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, is that the right one? I think so. I think that's what it's called. Which I'm moderately looking forward to. (laughs) I thought the first one was fine. Mm -hmm. I thought it was an interesting movie. It was better than I expected it to be, but I wasn't blown away by it. I think if he puts in a very stellar performance again as Caesar, and Caesar seems to be a little more human look acting from the trailers I've seen. Okay. So it's a little more of a chance to act maybe. Okay. If he puts in another solid performance, I could definitely see that talk coming back up again about motion capture performances. Sure. We don't know if star Wars is going to be a motion capture performance or not. Everything we hear about star Wars is they're trying to minimize the use of CGI hmm. and go more practical people in mask um, models for ships, all that. So there's no telling whether he's being hired for star Wars for one or the other. But I do think, I think Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is going to be the bellwether for whether or not the whole Academy Award performance for motion capture gets any traction or not. Gotcha. That's my prediction on it. Okay. If he turns in another good performance, it gets a lot of acclaim. I definitely think that that whole discussion is going to come back up again. And me personally, you know, the the whole argument we made when we discussed it a couple years ago about whether or not those performances should be nominated. It's still going to come down to who do you nominate? Is it the actors or or the animators or both? And that's where I think things get really challenging. Here's what I would love to see. I would love to see motion capture performances treated as possible nominations for acting. But in those situations, both the actor and the lead animator are co-named as the nomination. Hmm. So in other words, you've got Robert Redford as best actor. You've got George Clooney, best actor. And then you've got Andy Serkis and... Joe Smith animator for this performance. Gotcha. That would be my preference. I think that's the way it ought to be done because the animator, the animator is just as important. If not, you could argue almost more important to making that character work sometimes. And for the actor to be the only one to get the acclaim for it is kind of a shame. Right. So, yep. Okay. This is fun. I like you. To, I like uh, you going with the headlines here. To another franchise. Um, Alan, tell me how excited you are about the announcement that was made for Gal Gadot or Godot. Oh, Wonder Woman. Oh, you even okay. I had no okay. I had no clue oh, I'm all over this who stuff. this woman was. Okay, so Zack Snyder, he's directing the Batman versus Superman. They've yes. announced already that he is also going to be a, directing a Justice League movie that will be coming fast on the heels of Batman versus Superman. And I that, can one up you on that, Chris. And that Wonder Woman is going to be played by Gal how do you say her? Gal Gadot, I believe. Gadot. Yes. Um do you even know who she is? Where no, has I don't. she been in? Okay. Nope. She's okay. fairly unknown, which I think is good. Okay. That's, I'm okay yeah, with that. Good. I like the unknowns yeah, okay. when they bring them into big, high profile pictures like this. Okay. Yeah, this is a project that's very interesting. And, and being s- someone who did not care for Man of Steel, <laughs> right? So Zack Snyder's kind of wearing thin on me right now to know that they are basically handing him the reins to this whole franchise. Right. I. I can't say I'm excited about it in any way, shape, or form, but I will say... Did you know Cyborg's going to be in it as uh, well? Cyborg is going to be in it. Um, they've even talked about a couple other p- uh, people. Basically, this movie just got its title released like two days ago. I don't know if okay. you heard it or not. I have not heard the title. It's Batman versus Superman. Oh, you're talking about the, the Batman versus... Yeah. Not the Justice That's League right. movie. But okay. Batman versus Superman, colon, The Dawn of Justice. 
Nice. That is the name of the movie, <laughs> officially. A couple interesting things about that. Only thing worse than that is the X-Men movie, like Days of Future Past or whatever. Like that's Well, but at least that there was like an old story okay. with that name. But this just sounds like Dawn a very complicated. The Dawn of Justice. Which, of course, <laughs> you know what they're saying. Right. We're basically going to set up the Justice League here in this movie. Sure. A couple interesting things there. Everybody talked about this being a Man of Steel sequel. Well, guess whose name is first in the title? Mr. Affleck? Batman. I mean, it's Batman versus Superman. It's, right, not even, yeah, yeah, it's not even a Man of Steel sequel anymore. This is just another movie hmm. to extend this universe and set up the future. Okay. They did release a photograph of Mr. Affleck in costume. I saw no nipples on the Batsuit. It looked just like the costume from from the Dark Knight right. Returns the novel. Frank Miller the stuff. Frank Miller. Yeah, which, sure, sure. hey, if they're going to go with that kind of style, I'm all for it. Right. Again, it's, it's Zack Snyder, though. I'm just I'm so worried about that. I just wish they had a I wish they had a better director. I really just somebody who is not so over over the top with the action sequences and the CGI and the 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 camera tricks. I just I don't, I don't know. I feel like this one needs to be handled better. Hmm. And I'm still waiting for Mr. Snyder to show me that he can turn out a really good movie. I thought Watchmen that he did was good, right? But I I liked it more because I liked the characters more, not right. because of the directing of it. Um, Got you. So you know we'll see. And I was on record liking Superman better than you. Oh, yeah. He definitely liked it better than me. Okay. So we're going to leave behind that one, and we're going to come to something that is probably you may or may not heard of, but it's also it's kind of a reboot that could happen. Uh, Richard Donner has hinted that Steven Spielberg is on board for this, a Goonies sequel. And the idea is that they they have not got any guarantees, but they Mm. want the original cast to return, and it will be 30 years later. Alan, thoughts? (laughs) Well, they've been talking about a Goonies sequel for at least a 10-year period now. I know for sure. Okay. The rumors always come up. Sure, would it be fun? Yeah, why not? Give it a shot. I mean, I'm one of those guys, I don't believe that remakes or sequels or reboots taint the original in any way. So, you know, it's not a matter of you you rape my childhood if you make the sequel to the Goonies. Some Some people are like that, and I just don't. I say, you know, hey, if it's an interesting idea and it's worth a shot, give it a shot. If it sucks, it sucks. If sure. it's great, then so be it. I'm all for it. I think I think it'd be nice to have a Goonies type movie coming out for new generations to yeah, see. That, I could see that. The idea of young kids kind of thrown into more of a high adventure situation. We haven't really had good movies like that in a while, you know, right. that I can think of. Right. So if they can do that, plus appealing to us in our generation that remember the original and like the original characters. If they can put magic in a bottle and make it happen, I say go for it. Um, my thing is, you know, I say maybe Donner can help produce it. And may, I think Spielberg's supposed to be writing it maybe. I just want Quentin Tarantino to direct a Goonies sequel. That's what I want. <laughs> that would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. That would be a lot of fun. I, you know, I think they could be, they could be creative with their choices on it. Um, I think it'd be fun. As someone who has um, been reading a lot of articles about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, because I think it's like an anniversary of when that movie came out. Okay. There's been a lot of essays and articles written about the the importance of that film, <laughs> which I agree with. I actually think it was a very interesting movie at the time it came out. Sure. A lot of recognition is being given to how good the, the actor who played Short Round is in that film. Uh-huh, and, of okay. course, he's in The Goonies as well. Right. I think it'd be fun to see him as an adult because I don't think he's done any acting since he's been a kid. Some um, of the other actors in there would be interesting. To well, Sean Aston, you know, yeah, of course, yeah. would be in there. You've got um, who played the older brother? Oh my gosh, he's like Is it huge Josh now. Brolin. Yeah, Josh yeah, Brolin's yeah, huge yeah, now. Exactly. Having him come back as a 
I guess a forty year old guy. I'm so on board with it. Are I, you? I think you're excited cool. about it, yeah. okay? Because right. I, I just feel like, kind of like when I heard that they were doing Prometheus. It's like if you wait that long to do a sequel, other than the whole, there's got to be like, there's got to be a reason, and that's kind of a sacred cow too, where like the Alien movie. So it's like if you're going to do one, do it right. And so I feel like for the Goonies thing, like you're saying, there is a big risk, but with the people involved, I feel like it could really be kind of kind of cool. So. Yeah, I will say it's uh, um, it has to be handled correctly, but if it's handled in the right by the right people with the sure. right spirit, it could be a great movie. Right. Um, I personally, I really like Richard Donner as okay. a director. I mean, I don't know if he's kind of past his prime now to make the movie, but I still think back in the eighties, I mean, Richard Donner, he he's he, the man. He was on fire with things. <laughs> I mean, between the Goonies, he did the Lethal Weapon. First two movies, which I thought were both really good movies, action movies. He did Scrooged, which is gotcha. like one of my favorite holiday movies. Okay, he's a good director, and uh, you know if he could pull that magic out again with the same cast and bring that same spirit to it, I think it'd be fun. There's a lot of little kids now, like our kids' age, that really like The Goonies, like the original. So hmm. giving them kind of a new version of it, I think would be fun too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm all for it. Alan, we reviewed Jobs, which was the Ashton Kutchner version of the biopic on Steve Jobs. There is going to be another Steve Jobs movie. And, you know, Aaron Sorkin's been feverishly working on the screenplay, mm-hmm. supposedly. Originally, they were going to have David Fincher do it, and they reportedly were going to have Christian Bale possibly be Steve Jobs. Well, yes. now they're saying that's kaput. It's out. Now they're saying Danny Boyle might be the director, and Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. could be Jobs. How do you feel about that? If you had asked me, if you had told me that 10 years ago, I would have just shaken my head and just been really frustrated and all that. Um, but Mr. Wolf of Wall Street is on your street. Well, I mean, <laughs> but I look at everything. I look at Wolf of Wall Street. I look at Django Unchained. Mm. I look at a lot of, I mean, even The Aviator, which I thought he was really great in. Sure. The guy can act. And you know what? I mean, I think what we learned with the social network movie is that it doesn't really matter how much the lead actor looks or even acts like the real person. It's like, did they create a character that we can at least identify with and understand kind of more about that person through this performance? So, you know, Jesse Eisenberg looks to me nothing like the the, the Facebook founder. Zuckerberg, yeah. And Zuckerberg, I've seen him talk. He's not the Woody Allen nebbish kind of guy (laughs) that Jesse Eisenberg played him to be. But yet you learned enough about his personality and character through that performance that I think you kind of felt like you learned more about, you know, the, uh, Zuckerberg. Right. So, you know, Hey, if DiCaprio can put together an interesting performance and depiction, it doesn't matter if he's not as tall or as sure. whatever knows, uh, whatever the physical features, I think as long as he can put together a strong performance and the script is solid, which I do trust Sorkin with the script. Sure. Um, I say, you know what? I trust them to pick, who they think will put together the best performance on this. I, you know, I'm, I'm on the on board as well with Sorkin being the writer because, you know, Social Network was great and it was about technology. And um, I feel like when I heard Fincher, I was like, well, that makes sense because he did Facebook. You know, that kind of makes sense with this. Danny Boyle, I, I like Danny Boyle, but I kind of thought that's an interesting choice for well, I love Danny Boyle's films. So I'm taking I, that kinetic energy. Doing like something based on real life. This is like, well, of course he, he did, did 127, 127 hours. hours. That's true. That's true. You know what, what Danny Boyle will bring to the table is a lot more kinetic energy true. than maybe the Facebook movie had right. where that was, you know, that was very much, it, 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 it was beautiful film <laughs> and it was well shot, well edited, but it didn't really add a lot of 
kinetic energy to it and where Danny Boyle would. Danny Boyle giving kinetic energy to a Steve Jobs conference call meeting, <laughs> that that would work. Yep. <laughs> I, yep. can, I can totally you see that. You take the <laughs> the energy of Steve Jobs, the passion and the fire behind him sure. and turn him loose with somebody like Danny Boyle to depict that on screen. It could be really interesting. What I'm curious about, so Zuckerberg, I'd never seen him. And I saw Jesse Eisenberg portray him. I didn't have a problem with it. I've seen, as I think most people have, Steve Jobs. So I agree. I think DiCaprio is a fine actor, but I wonder how much of a struggle it'll be for me to imagine him as Steve Jobs. Because I don't think they look anything alike. No, you know, there's makeup and you put clothes on him and stuff. But still, I think that'll be interesting. As opposed to Ashton Kutchner, I'll say one thing. I thought he looked like Steve oh, Jobs. Oh, he looked like him. That was it. <laughs> so, so <laughs> yeah, right. you know, it'll be interesting to see... It'll be interesting, and it you know, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Do they just throw a black turtleneck on them and say, "Okay, your jobs go"? <laughs> see, I think that's really what it's going to be. Is hey, that could as, long be as, cool. as long as you wear the glasses and the turtleneck, you play this part how you want to craft this performance, right? Which again is, I think, what they did with Eisenberg and Zuckerberg is just all right. You know, he's kind of socially awkward. You know, he's a genius. You know, he's maybe got an ego. Go, yeah. like make something out of that, sure. and that's what they did. So. um I'm, I'm, Hey, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I need okay. something to wash the taste of that jobs movie sure. out, of, out of my mouth from, uh, from Ashton Kusher. Oh gosh. Okay. That was not good. Okay. We've got two last news items oh, wow. and basically they, really they kind of, they kind of combine to one. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about Richard Linklater. Okay. Um, he's, oh, we'll talk a little about his latest project in just a second, but just a little footnote. We discussed, I think we both recommended Bernie at one point. Mm-hmm. They released the news that the killer, the title, Bernie, Mr. Bernie, you know, Mr. Yeah. Bernie he has been released out of jail with the specification that he lives in the apartment above the director's garage. I saw that. So, yeah. don't know really. I mean, it's just kind of interesting. But it's no stranger than the movie. So, well, <laughs> there's that. And what I read, and granted, I obviously am not her in any no, way, shape, or form. Absolutely but not. everything I've read about this, and you even see it in the movie, is that you kind of get this picture of someone who tried his hardest to be a good, nice person and just got pushed to the edge. Now, right. again, never, ever condoning the idea of murder. Absolutely not. He committed a crime. He needed to do his time. Yes. But at the same time, if there's enough redeeming values and this person is atoned for his sin, you know, I'm all for giving people an extra chance. And hey, if Richard Linklater wants to do that and maybe got some sort of connection with the guy while making the film. Right. Sounds good to me. I mean, the legal system did what it felt like was just and, and right to do with it. Right. I was. It just struck me as a little odd because, uh, yeah, I mean. What goes on in courtrooms, you and I have no idea of. Right. But the fact that the guy who made a movie at him, now he's staying above his garage. I was like, hmm, that's not something you yeah. see every day. Right. It's just kind of interesting. I agree. So uh, as far as what Mr. Linklater, not the boyhood movie that is oh, coming out this that summer that we're so looking forward to. About. Yeah, I am too. Uh, but I guess it's his project after that is reteaming Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis to do a comedy based on a brother trying to, or a guy trying to find a liver no kidney kidney yes. donor mm-hmm. and it's based on a true story a book i think that was written about it hmm. okay um i guess a biography about the incident or whatever what are your thoughts on reteaming those two after the campaign what are your thoughts about richard linklater directing the two well the campaign episodes? did we review that on the show i think we did yeah i generally liked it okay i mean i thought it didn't go as funny or as far as it needed to but it had sure. some really good moments I really like watching these two guys on screen. Putting them in a film by by Linklater, who I think 
can obviously do comedy. Right. I mean, you look at Days and Confused. Right. Um, he can obviously do different types of films with the whole Before Sunrise trilogy and everything else. And then this Boyhood movie sounds really fascinating. So he's a eclectic enough director. Right. That if he wanted to do something with two comedic giants, in my mind, guys who I think when they're with the right material and the right parts could be really, really good on film, put them together with an actor or director like him, I think it could be really interesting. So no, I'm excited. I okay. think that's... I think right now that's what both of those guys need to do okay. because to me, Will Ferrell, unfortunately it looks like he's kind of wearing out his welcome in some places box mm. office wise. I mean, he's just not getting the big comedies. Anchorman two, I thought was really funny, but didn't really do as good as gotcha. maybe people thought it should. Mm-hmm. Zach, Val- Zach Galifianakis. Well, I think the hangover three just burned everybody out. Nobody, <laughs> nobody really wants to see him anymore right now on screen. Except just, for free on between two ferns. And then people, right. Like yeah. And that's, but, but it's a little, still a very small group of sure. people. It's niche. He's not box office right. money right now for everybody. Sure. So you take these two guys who probably need to retool their, their presence on screen a little bit, give them an interesting director like Linklater, uh, tied around a true story. Could be, could be interesting. Could okay. be a, uh, could be a fun little movie. Okay. Well, that's all I have for news. Okay. Well, I'll just tag on one little quick bit. Okay. Um, if I'll just say this to you, I know you're not big on watching trailers, and I agree with you on that. I think for certain movies, trailers can be bad. Sure. But I do encourage you to take a look at a clip that they just released from the movie Foxcatcher. Oh, Steve okay. Carell. Yeah, right. With and Channing Tatum. Tatum. Right. Based on a true story, and it's directed by the guy who did Capote, the movie Capote. Um, Completely blank. Oh, gosh. Um I really can't, I can't believe I just blanked <laughs> on his name. I'll come up with it in a second here. Okay. But they've released a clip. I think they released a trailer, but I haven't watched the trailer. I just watched the clip because I was curious. And it premiered in Cannes just recently, Yeah, right? Steve Carell playing a very dramatic part. Uh, it's based on a true story of a millionaire who is fascinated by men's wrestling and becomes a wrestling coach and ends up murdering one of the wrestlers and having a rela- trying to still coach his brother. I, I don't hmm. quite know exact story, but it's gotcha. a very dark story right but watching steve carell's um, performance just in this short clip he's completely transformed and it's actually creepy like watching him he i don't know this could be a really interesting performance to watch Hmm. um bennett miller is the one who directed capote okay um, which i thought was a really good movie yeah um so anyway Foxcatcher, i do encourage you to at least check out the clip it's just a quick dialogue scene between channing tatum and uh, Steve Carell. Okay. But uh, you get a taste of where this film's going, and it looks like it could be really interesting. Hmm. Okay. So, Chris, let's wrap up the show with our recommendations. This is what we want people to maybe seek out online, maybe films they either might have missed or ones that maybe didn't get the acclaim they should have, or just in general things we think people uh, ought to go back and revisit. So, with that, I've got kind of an interesting mixed bag of ones for me. I'll go ahead and say I'm You not, have more than one? I've got two, only right. because both of them are only half recommendations. <laughs> okay. So, two halves make a whole. I've kind of okay. gone through. This is the problem I've got with my recommendations right now. Gotcha. I have gone through all of the films I would recommend to people that we haven't talked about in the show already mm-hmm. in some capacity. Okay. So I'm digging a little deeper in my letterbox queue to gotcha. find films that are maybe down in that three and a half star level. Oh, okay. You know, which I don't really really want to give recommendations for a three star movie, but there are a couple I want to give a shout out because I do think they have some interesting elements to them. Gotcha. So I'll leave it at that. What okay. do you have to share with us? Okay. Well, um, I'm going to recommend this time. I'm going to recommend a movie called robot and Frank. And it came out in 2012, I believe, and uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a movie about a guy named Frank 
Claimed oh, I by, thought it was about a guy named Robot. No. And a no. robot named Frank. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> now, uh, Frank Langella plays a retired cat burglar, and uh, he lives in a small town, and he has, you know, he's he's by himself, and he has problems with memory loss. Mm. Um, and he's he has two kids that come in and check on him, and they're played by Liv Tyler and James Marsden, and they have the, you know, aging parent dynamic with their mm-hmm. older father. Um, it's just really interesting to see how they make comedy elements in this film, but it's kind of a, you know, it's serious. It's a drama, too, because mm-hmm. you're dealing with a guy who's having memory problems, and it's just really well handled. Uh, Susan Sarandon's in the movie as well, mm-hmm. um, and Peter Sarsgaard oh, as the Peter voice Sarsgaard. of the robot. Oh, really? That's yes. The, okay. is just so dead on, because I like Peter Sarsgaard anyway, yeah. and his voice like shows the right amount of inflection sometimes but yet still monotone like a robot you know it's Mm -hmm. like it's it's awesome i think it's very nuanced i think it's incredible um check the movie out i i had heard of it when it came out but then it just kind of dropped off the radar i think because it's you know it's 90 minutes and it's kind of you could pass it off as just being fluff Mm -hmm. because it does have a little bit of romantic you know it's kind of like a romantic comedy in a way right with uh frank and his susan sarandon plays a librarian and like the relationship they have but it's also, I think it's so much more than that, too, because it kind of talks about how technology is isolating people. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's a librarian, but yet the place she's working is slowly becoming all digital and basically is going to kick her out, more or less, or have her isolate her as a job, and it won't be like people come to the library anymore. It's just... But is it... But the fact that Frank has the robot... As a, as a kind of a companion, does that not invalidate the argument that technology is distancing us from people? Uh, I can't comment too much on that. Okay, gotcha. All right. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely worth checking out. And Interesting discussion from right. the film, I'm sure. Right, yeah. It's, uh, it's available on Netflix and I think also iTunes, so check Pretty it cool. out. Well, yeah, I, I, so I've got these two half recommendations. Okay. I'm not going to say to everybody, go rush out immediately and go check out these films, but there are a couple of things I just want to bring to people's attention on stuff. Okay. Um, one, mainly because I guess another reason I was ultimately disappointed with Amazing Spider-Man 2 okay. is that Mark Webb, the director, I've seen him make a really good movie, okay. and that was 500 Days of Summer. Uh, and I don't recall if I've ever recommended this film or not, but I really, I liked, so. I really liked this film. It is a quirky, romantic comedy starring Jorson, J, uh, Joseph, Gordon Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Thank you. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, yeah, he's very good in the movie. Uh, Zoe Deschanel is in it as well, playing the typical Zoe Deschanel character. But um, it was competently directed for a basically a first-time director. Sure. Uh, it had a, a, a musical scene in the middle that was very <laughs> unexpected, but a lot of fun. It's just, you know, watching that, that's what got me so excited when I heard he was going to direct The Amazing Spider-Man because I thought, okay, so they're going to give him a big budget, but he's going to still bring a human, really interesting characters and a lot of great conversation, which I do think for Amazing Spider-Man, he actually did a little bit of that. Gotcha. I guess that's what makes Amazing Spider-Man 2 more disappointing to me is I know this guy's capable of better right. with story and with characters, and it just didn't quite get there with that film. But I will say, if... uh you're in, in the mood for a really nice romantic comedy that's got a lot of quirk to it, a lot of interesting directorial decisions, uh, 500 Days of Summer, I think, is a really fun movie. Okay. Not a great movie, just a good, fun movie, something to watch uh, in some downtime. The other one I was going to mention, um, yeah, I'm really torn on this film because ultimately I like it and I have recommended it to people, but it's one of those where you have to be in the right frame of mind for it is Donnie Darko. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Um, I like it. And the only reason made me think about it is uh, kind of looking at um, Jake Gyllenhaal. I haven't seen the movie Enemy yet. I know you were maybe trying to see it as well. well I wanted to compare it to, we didn't even talk double. about that, to The yeah. Devil, but it's a similar storyline. Yeah. So, right. So me thinking about his performances a little bit, I thought, you know, Donnie Darko is kind of the first movie I remember him being in where I just kind of recognize him as an actor. Right. And it was also Richard Kelly's first big film that I think we all kind of saw him as a director. Unfortunately, he hasn't really done much since then. It's gotten any real acclaim. What the movie he came out with right after that was big budget, had The Rock in it. Yeah, Sarah I don't Michelle remember the Geller. name of it. I can't remember it either. It was supposedly a big disaster. I mean, yeah, I saw did not it, do but well. I can't remember the name of it. Which then tells he did you. the box with Cameron Diaz and James. Right. Uh, which I saw that as well. Okay, James Marsden. Yeah. yeah. So you're actually a, a Richard Kelly completist, I guess. In a I way, guess right? I am. If mm. he's only made three. Yeah. Well, anyway, Donnie Darko, I think, is a very interesting film. Um, it's got one of my favorite moments of film. I know what it is too. Yeah. It's the the Steadicam shot. Yeah. With the, yeah. 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 Uh, to the Tears for Fears <laughs> song. Tears, yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 I still, every time I hear that Tears for Fears song's Head Over Heels, I picture that whole sequence. Of the I think, film. I think if it means that much to you, that warrants the recommendation right there. Yeah, every I time guess, you I hear that right. song, then it's like, that's I, a done deal. And that's why I keep coming back to it, even though I still wrestle with it. Sure. There's still a lot of What's complicated dark? elements to the film. Sure. Um, it's one of those where, I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard to put into words. You really have to go in with an open mind and you have to be prepared for anything with this film. Right. But in the end, if you can turn that brain off and let it just roll. It's got a really, a lot of interesting elements to it. And I do think Hall's really good in it too. So yeah. I'll, that's my two half recommendations. I okay. can't go out and say these are two films to go see, but it is two actors that have obviously moved on to much bigger things with sure. uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Jake Gyllenhaal. But these are two films where they really started to get noticed, I think right. as emerging actors. So sure. anyway, that's how I rationalize those two picks together. <laughs> I, I think you're perfectly... Okay. Get, you know, wanted. Yeah. I was allowed to do two half ones then. So. Sure. Great. Now, unfortunately, I don't know where I'm going to go next episode on recommendation. <laughs> I need to go out and see some good movies that I've missed so I can recommend them. It won't be Rio 2. <laughs> no Rio 2? Uh, no. Yeah, I saw your rating on that. That didn't look too promising. I so. think on Letterboxd, you have to give it a star or you just have to leave a star off. So it does have so one star. Huh? So you yeah. at least have to do a one star. Yeah. So. Well, that is our show. Wow. Good, good uh, wealth of film-based information and reviews for you there. We did review the film Amazing Spider-Man 2, which Chris did not like. I was disappointed in. We reviewed the film Godzilla, which I really liked. We reviewed the film Blue Ruin, which Chris really liked. We reviewed the double, which I generally liked. Chris eh, generally did not. Not so much. <laughs> but we weren't really extremes on it. Just Correct. had a few interesting things going for it. Correct. Uh, talked about a lot of news. Thank you, Chris, for bringing that to the newsroom here and letting us pour through those uh, those articles. So we'll try to do some trade-offs in the future. Okay. And uh, make sure we both are have the, the news desk. And so you have proven yourself worthy. Nice. Congratulations. <laughs> and then our recommendations. We have me doing my half recommendations of 500 days of summer and uh, Donnie Darko. And then Chris did his recommendation of robot and Frank. That's right. Robot and Frank. Shoot. I already forgot that. <laughs> so with that, we're going to wrap it up for today. Thanks a lot for listening. Again, you can go visit all of our archives of episodes on the mesh.tv and listen and see other, uh, other episodes we've recorded, other films we've reviewed. You know, the great thing about films is that, you know, you can still go back and listen to our episodes and listen to us review a film that maybe you just now are catching up on right. online or DVD or whatever. Go back and download the episode and see what we had to say with it and then write us a nice angry email and tell us how wrong we are. <laughs> we appreciate that. That would be fun. 
You can learn more about our film society, the Foot Candle Film Society, that was kind of the basis for getting this whole thing started on this podcast at footcandle.org. That's where you can see the screenings we have upcoming in the Western North Carolina area and uh, some of the discussions we're having about those films as well. Letterboxd.com. That's letterboxed without the E at the end. So letterboxd.com. Look for Alan Jackson. Look for Chris Fry. You'll see us. You can follow us. You can see what films we're watching and reviewing. And Chris is much better with writing the little short, pithy uh, reviews than I am. (laughs) So uh, he's got some interesting ones to post up there whenever he sees something as well. And with that, I guess I'll wrap it up. Thanks a lot for everybody for listening. Uh, this has been Fukendo Film signing off. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. How do you say the director's last name? Iode? Iode. 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 Richard Iode. Iode. Okay. That or it's Iode. Iode? Um, I don't know. Hold on. I'll let you know. Iode or Iode? Hmm. How do you pronounce Richard Iode? Here we go. <laughs> I love interview. I O. Ioade. 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 Ooh, boy, that doesn't. Ioade. Hold on, I'm not trusting that page. Ioade. <laughs> this could be an outtake, uh, Jay. Let's <laughs> yeah, try to decide right. how to, say how to pronounce this guy's name. <laughs> um, hold on, here's another. Here's another page. A. <laughs> Aod. A O A O D A O D A O A D A O A D A O A D boy A O A D A O D I'd say he's just right to go A O D A O D A O D that's what we're going to go with A O D A O D Richard A O D Richard A O D people with your names come on No throw us a burn A O D whatever happened to John Smith Mhm A O D A O D Okay. Okay. Mr. AOD, if we mispronounce your name, you Sorry. can certainly reach out to us and let us know how to do or it. Or change right. your name to Smith. I mean, yeah. come on. All right. Um, coming back in three, two, three.